Laserfiche is the leading SaaS provider of intelligent content management and business process automation. Welcome to our podcast, The Human Side of B2B Technology with Laserfiche's Noel and Noel, where we'll hear from two members of our team about how our team and our customers use B2B technology to make an impact. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Noel Lochran and Noel Payne. And we're here with part two of our AI episode with Michael Allen, Laserfiche's CTO. Let's get started. So what are ways, if any, that you've seen generative AI be incorporated into the workplace currently? Not just at Laserfiche, but in the greater landscape. The conversation I had the other day, one of the guests was a writer. And so it's the impact of generative AI is already being felt in kind of this cottage industry that creates content for blogs and things. So if you work in that field, you're already being impacted. I know it's being used for illustration for things like, you know, lower cost advertisements and other types of media that marketing. There are vendors for of graphic design programs that have incorporated some generative AI features to help with generating visual designs that maybe in the past that would just be solely clip art. And now there's augmentation there with prompting. So that's where it's being used. I think it's very, we're still in the very early days. A lot of vendors are in the middle of figuring out where generative AI can work in their products, where it can add value. Uh, so there's not a lot right now. I think just about everybody's thinking about where it can be integrated into products. It's interesting. Most of those that you mentioned seem to be cre- more creative. Yeah, I think that's where generative AI is going to make its initial impact most felt in creative fields. So these would be your marketing departments and your PR departments. So creating posters or data sheets, ad campaigns, blog posts, social media posts. Uh, we're going to see platforms that help manage your social media presence, incorporate AI, generative AI, so that you can generate tweets or Facebook posts, etc. much more rapidly. You can maybe generate 90% of it for you and then you know the writer can just tweak it. Same with generating memes. And we other, all need more of those. And, and other content that are, you know have kind of a corporate or product marketing spin to it, I think you're going to see that being kind of standard, integrated into the standard tools in those fields. I mean, that actually does sound pretty exciting as a marketer because you do have to create so much content to remain relevant and to be sticky, to have it be something that someone can either relate to or can understand. So I well, think that is pretty cool. What you're, I think you're going to see this cycle. It's going to rise up and there's going to be a trough because the thing is once, once the market or once, not the market, but Rather, once the communication space is saturated with this content that's being generated by AI or AI is being used to assist with the generation of content, those organizations, those companies that actually do something different, they're the ones who are going to be standing out. So in a, in a sea of wash full of generated content or content that was mostly generated, those that actually go and pay for the human talent that has unique talent, that, that content is going to stick out. So you're going to see this cycle, I think, where... There's going to be a peak. It's going to culminate in just massive amounts of this content Mm -hmm. uh, while the novelty is still there. And then it's going to wear off. And then people are going to look for something that's more authentic that is different. I mean, that's that's my prediction. Obviously, that's the future. And predicting the future is pretty risky, but <laughs> I think that's how that's going to play out. So there's going to be a kind of a, a cycle. Yeah, no, and I guess that does make sense too. Even with the chat GPT things that I've received, you can tell that there is, that that wasn't written by a human. It just doesn't have the same tone or feeling that would make sense. It definitely needs some human intervention. 
make it a little more fun or a little more interesting or a little more personal. I think it's a very astute observation because the pendulum always seems to swing mm-hmm. back in the other direction. And mm-hmm. that would make a lot of sense. It would. People are always wanting to find something different and unique. Mm-hmm. So even if every newsletter that you get and, and you're getting flooded, inboxes are getting flooded with this content, these newsletters that are AI generated, once everything is 90% of what you're getting is AI, you're going to look for something different, even if, even if it's less polished. Because people, the nature of human beings is that we like novelty. We are going to seek out things that are different, that are unique. And so I think there's still going to be a role for talented, creative people. As a marketer, I think this is pretty exciting. It is. We just have to ride the wave, Mm -hmm. ride the cycle, see what happens. Yeah. No, and it's making me even wonder, you know, what are your thoughts on how AI can help improve customer service? Yeah, well, I think it goes back to defining the question and the what you're trying to optimize here. Before you deploy any kind of automation, it's critical to understand the metric you're trying to optimize. If that's not clear, technology is unlikely to help because uh, if you're not clear on what you're trying to optimize and how you're going to measure it, it's hard to know what you've done has worked or what the efficacy is. And that really goes beyond that's more fundamental than just AI or generative AI. It's, uh, But it becomes especially important for AI. And the reason is AI is so good at generating content and spotting patterns. You can deploy it very easily. So if you're not clear about what you're trying to optimize exactly, you run the risk of just generating a huge amount of useless content, which could create additional work for other people that actually doesn't help with the business. So I would say the first order of business before you deploy any kind of automation or re-engineer your process is understand what you're trying to optimize and how you will measure it. I mean, there's some risk there when you when you pick a metric as your goal. It sort of ruins it in a sense as a metric to observe how well you're doing. So you need to have metrics that observe how well you're doing as well as the goal that you're, you're targeting. So customer service, yeah, that's a broad question. So I don't know how to answer that precisely, but I think if you were to define the metrics here, we can then step back and say, okay, what are the processes that are relevant to that particular metric that we're trying to optimize and where can AI help? Perhaps it's not generative AI. Perhaps it's something a little less high tech. But in terms of generative AI, one area that I think is going to make an impact when it comes to customer service and customer support specifically is things like chatbots. So we've all used chatbots or we've all used automated telephone help systems. So I think with these large language models, they're going to supercharge those systems. So let's say you called your cable company or your utility company and you had a problem or a question about your bill and you asked it something. It was really limited in what it could do. So if you said you had a problem, it may be able to reboot your router. And if you had anything else more complicated, it'd have to direct you to an operator. That's my favorite prompt. Speak to a representative. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's the one. What I think is going to happen is these large language models are going to permit the development of more advanced systems, automated systems that will be able to help people walk through their bills or troubleshoot more complicated problems. So that's going to be one way I think we're going to see customer service improve. And that that's also going to apply to online. You know, if you visit a website, you can get, you know, that little chat window in the corner sometimes you see, and they ask you, how can I help you? And you start typing. And usually in my experience, it does take you to a person after maybe a few initial uh, warm-up rounds, but there may be a delay there. I've often had long delays or please wait when I'm really asking kind of a simple question. It doesn't need a lot of in-depth 
research on the part of whoever's helping me. So I think these LLMs are going to be deployed in the form of agents to help people. So I think that's one innovation that we should expect to see pretty soon. So that's one possibility, uh, or, or not possibility, but rather I think one way in which it's going to impact customer service. In terms of more backend operations, I think generative AI is going to have a bigger role to play in specific fields. Uh, there's actually a pretty interesting and very widely cited study by Goldman Sachs that they published, I believe it was in May. What they did is they assessed the potential impact of generative AI on global economic growth and in particular on the labor market. And what they found in their analysis, now they make some assumptions, but I think their assumptions are pretty reasonable and they, and they do lay out their assumptions. So they have found that in certain fields, the impact of generative AI is going to be very large. In excess of half the work uh, in those fields would be potentially automated. And it varies per, per occupation because some occupations have tasks that are more amenable to automation via technologies like generative AI. And so we see uh, or what they assess is that the legal field is going to be especially impacted. So I think in terms of any operations that involve analyzing contracts, uh, generating legal pleadings and things of that nature, we're going to see large language models make a real big impact. I think firms that provide legal services or a legal review is an important part and potentially a bottleneck. I think in the real estate industry, it could have a pretty big impact there in reducing the amount of time to process loan applications, etc. Anything with a lot of text. Yeah, anything with analysis of text as well as generating text. Um, what concerns do you have in the AI space? You know, we've heard with machine learning, you know, the machines are only as good as who train them. Kind of worry about the lack of diversity and thought in their training. What concerns do you have with generative AI? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because there's, amongst people who have studied AI and who are really experts on AI ethics, one of their main concerns is bias. What you just talked about is what is called bias in the AI field. But if you ask uh, the typical person on the street, what they're most afraid of is, is job loss. And so it's a little bit different depending on who you ask. The Pew Research Center conducted a poll and they published a report about the findings of their poll. I believe it was last year. Yeah, I think it was in 2022 where they polled Americans about whether or not they were more excited or concerned about AI and what their top concerns were. Job loss was the number one. I think loss of jobs is not a huge risk in the sense that there will be new jobs, but there will be potential disruption. And that disruption can have an impact on lives of, in, of individuals. If you have to relearn your job or if you're automated out of a job, and even if you can find another job, it's still potentially pretty disruptive. But I think that's not a super major concern. And because there's technologies all the time that are disrupting industries and jobs and the AI is nothing new here. In terms of bias, that's more unique to AI. And I think bias itself is an unavoidable side effect of artificial intelligence systems, of ML systems. I believe bias is a real problem and it's one of the most potentially profound pernicious effects of machine learning in our society because of the concentration of power. So I think the real problem problem with AI is right now is these systems are being deployed by a relatively at scale, not in a research setting, but in a, at a large scale by a relatively small number of organizations that have the resources, both human and capital, 
to develop and train these models and to deploy these models at a large scale. This concentration of power combined with this bias risk that I think is so potentially dangerous. I think the way to combat that risk is to democratize AI so that we're not so relying upon a small number of sources for what I think is going to be an important tool for economic growth in the coming decades. And there's no way to get around bias and because every every model, every machine learning model reflects the input that it was trained upon. And it's very difficult to, you have to make some decisions about what you're or what data you're going to train your model on. Just having a small number of models creates a risk of distortions being sort of multiplied in society. And there's lots of examples of that. It's not just AI, it's computer programs, devices. There's been, you know, algorithms, computer programs that have been developed for things to help with criminal sentencing or to decide who gets jobs or grants. They don't necessarily use sophisticated machine learning technology, but if the sources of these systems that can impact lives if, if they're closed off, if they can't be inspected, and if they are all coming from a small group of organizations, I think that's what the real risk is. So the bias is a significant risk, but I think the real problem is the lack of transparency and lack of diversity in sources of these models, which I hope will, will be something that will change over time as the cost of these models goes down. That's so interesting you bring up diversity. We, our last episode, podcast episode, was focused on diversity and how, especially with software, and software development, it's important to have people from all different backgrounds and experiences involved in the software creation so that the software best serves the greatest number of people. So what excites you the most? about AI? Well, I'm a computer programmer, so what excites me is the impact it's going to have on software development. I can tell you that many developers are pretty skeptical of AI code assistance. They think the code that it generates is pretty bad, it's wrong, it's junior coder level. So a couple of things, a couple of thoughts that are on that. We're already seeing, and there's articles written about this, how people think the, the spread of these AI code assistance is depressing the hiring for junior programmers. And now companies only want senior programmers because what junior coders would do, these AI code assistants can often just do under the control of a senior programmer. And then your senior programmers, your more seasoned developers, they're needed, of course, to actually do the hard things that uh, these code assistants can't do yet. But I think there's a more fundamental shift here. And that's actually going to change the nature of the software we write rather than just changing how we write software. So the cool thing about neural networks is how universally applicable they are to computation. So often we get these spec changes. You know, that's the thing that coders hate. We get a spec change. Specifications change. Requirements change. So we've written this routine. Works great. Pass all, all our tests. Then the customer comes to us and says, actually, I need this change. Often it doesn't require rewriting the whole thing, but it modifies some part of the, the software. And if we've made assumptions about a certain aspect of how it worked, and that assumption without us necessarily being conscious of it was carried throughout the code, it can be very difficult to make what appears to be a relatively minor change. As I, I think more and more logic that's hand-coded is going to be moved to neural networks. And that's going to make accommodating those types of changes easier because it's really just going to be a retraining process, a fine-tuning process where you're updating models, essentially. And I think that's going to change not just how software is built with you know AI code assistance, but the actual nature of software, how it's structured and organized. It's going to be less and less about writing structured subroutines and class designs and more towards cleaning up data and having the right data models and understanding 
understanding the problem, knowing when to update the systems, integrating different systems together to create something that's more optimum. So I think that is going to be a pretty profound change in the longer term on what it will entail to build a software system to solve a business problem. I think there's always going to be a place for the hobbyist coder who wants to just write programs for their fun. But when it comes to applying software in a business context to solve a business problem, I think neural networks are really going to make their impact felt much greater in the future. So I'm excited about that because I think they're just that's, they're just so powerful as a tool. All right, that concludes our part two of generative AI. It was a good conversation. Michael had a lot of really interesting things to say. A lot of insights, a lot of discussions about AI in our personal lives versus, you know, with kids in the school environment and in the workplace as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I loved that little story he was telling us about, like, you know, being out with friends. This child um, of his friends was like, I don't want to use AI because like it's cheating. And as I loved his insight on it, it's like, yeah, this is a way to like jumpstart something you need to work on. Like, you know, if you're hitting a wall, you know, you can use AI to help get those creative juices flowing again or, you know, bring some new ideas or a fresh perspective on something that you've been thinking about a lot. So I really liked that little aspect of it that he shared. Well, with every new new thing that comes out right there's always like these fears about it i mean just look at computers technology i mean oh man yeah there was fears then about it taking jobs away from everybody (laughs) look at us now (laughs) look at us now we can't live without it i think the biggest calming and most hopeful takeaway i got out of our conversation with michael was that it's all cyclical and humans are so creative and we go through all of these phases where we're interested in one thing and then another app and then it's something else. And initially there will be a a big kind of hurdle Mm -hmm. with AI and then it'll be so widespread, we're going to want something different and we're going to go back to wanting the individual creative process and touch on everything. So if we can just hang tight, everything comes back around. (laughs) All right. It was nice chatting with you, Noelle. It was nice chatting with Michael, too. You, too, as always. Catch you next time. Bye. Laserfish is the leading SaaS provider of intelligent content management and business process automation. And our mission is to inspire everyone on how technology can change the world.